GM, everybody, welcome to another Lex line. I'm going to give Jenko a second to jump in, and we'll talk. Thank you to everyone who joined. I know it's uh, a slow holiday week, and uh, I don't know what kind of crowd we'll have today, but we shall see. Certainly no end of things to talk to. So welcome to Lex line brought to you by Carlo and Jenko in conjunction with Rug Radio, where we talk about new and emerging legal trends in Web3, crypto, and NFT law. Nothing we talk about should be considered legal or financial advice. As always, if you have a specific legal question, consult a lawyer. Do it privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because we do record these. If you come up and talk, you're going to get rebroadcast, because guess what? We are now available on Apple iPod, Apple iPod, (laughs) Apple Podcasts and Spotify podcast. So thanks to everyone who joined. And uh, give me one second, and we'll get the party started. So one of the things that I pinned today is an interesting editorial discussing Elizabeth Warren's proposed legislation, which would pretty much do away with any privacy when it comes to the blockchain. Um, To pull a quote out of this very interesting story, and this editorial was written by a contributor there, Marta Belcher, Marta is very concerned about what the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act would do as far as imposing very sweeping surveillance and registration requirements on almost all participants in blockchain networks. She's president of the Filecoin Foundation. Uh, She's a big advocate for decentralized web. And I quoted a bit of her concerns on this, and I'd love to get some thoughts from the crowd on whether this thing has any legs, I don't think it does. And uh, why in the world would she propose what essentially would result in stifling growth to this technology? Because it would be impossible for anyone who runs a blockchain network to KYC everyone who interacts on the blockchain. So this is madness. Fidgetal, thank you for joining. Latoshi, it's always great to see you. Like I said, holiday edition, so I don't know what kind of crowd we'll get today, but I'm happy to move the conversation forward. Another crazy development. I've been watching it closely, as you all know, and it's the SBF extradition. I am not sure whether he's agreed or not, quite candidly, to extradition. Yesterday was a very confusing court appearance. Um, It was reported that he had court but that his Bahamian extradition lawyer had no idea he had court and that he only found out moments before the hearing. When his Bahamian attorney did appear in court, there was some confusion because he had not agreed to extradition and he was frankly surprised and found this to be very premature. The prosecutor uh, pushed back on this And the Bahamian extradition attorney representing SBF 
requested a copy of the indictment, which I would think at this stage of the case you would have, given that you are working towards trying to negotiate extradition, I would imagine. But in any event, the hearing was paused to allow SBF, according to reporting, to talk to his counsel in the United States with his Bahamian lawyer present. And the hearing was then uh, concluded. And I left with the impression that there was no agreement, but then it was reported today and I pinned it up that apparently he now has agreed to extradition. So if anyone can shed some light on that, I'd certainly be curious to know. Uh, Fidgetal, welcome. What are your thoughts, man? Um, what does fighting extradition get him? Uh, a lengthier stay in a terrible Bahamian jail unless the judge in the Bahamas changes the ruling and agrees to release pending extradition, which I find highly improbable, then as long as they can prove that he's the subject of the extradition warrant, as long as there's comedy between, or, you know, comedy, comedy, not comedy, although this comedy, is a yeah. comedy, comedy, thank you. As long as there's comedy of the charges, and as long as any argument that this would be cruel and unusual punishment falls on flat ears as far as the Bahamian judge, then largely just prolongs his ability to get discovery, to get the trial track moving, and to get any closer to sentencing. So I guess it's... Uh, from, from, a strategy, heard, from a strategy that doesn't get me anything, right? His entire strategy has been the apology tour, I didn't do anything wrong. At best, it's, it's criminal negligence... Uh, right. So fighting it from an optics perspective, especially when it's inevitable that he will either voluntarily or or, or forcefully be extradited. Right. Um, if he has any hopes of redeeming his 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 uh, his name, his brand uh, and more and more importantly, I think there is and I was speaking on Mario space the other day, um, regardless of the of the context. I think that there is uh, I think there are snakes that. Uh, tie in uh, 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 Kevin O'Leary and other people that he, if he has any chance of, of, of climbing out from underneath this in any way and or stopping a, a bunch of other people, large people from going down, uh, uh, compliance, uh, continuing the brand of I didn't do anything wrong. Let's just focus on my negligence is where he's kind of driving this narrative. Yeah, I, I can't see many strategic advantages here because I see a low probability of him winning on an extradition claim. Um, I'm not an extradition expert, but I, I do have some knowledge of this. I've represented defendants who have been arrested overseas. One in particular was part of a huge Colombian drug trafficking indictment. And uh, the defendants in that case spent a good deal of time in Colombia awaiting extradition. And the conditions are not great in this jail, as has been widely reported. It is one of the worst jails that you'd want to sit in as far as uh, medical, health, sanitation. There's rodents and maggots have been reported. So he can't be doing well in that jail and it can't be serving uh, him personally to be sitting in there in those conditions. And when you weigh that against the probability of prevailing, I don't think this is going to be a situation where the Bahamian government 
is going to uh, is going to resist this to the extent that we've seen in other cases with mo- other more high profile individuals who have resisted extradition. Um, but uh, again, if we listen to the reporting that we're seeing today, apparently he's agreed. I just haven't seen anything out there really concretely confirming that. Um, have you, Fidgetal? Uh, no, but uh, uh, is, is there a word inconcretely? That's not a real word, right? Not, not concretely. Um, my, the whispers that I have, right? If you're a drug lord, you can disappear to a degree, right? Uh, you, and what have you done? You've, you've been accused of being the cause of, of, of harm, death, and, and illegality. This man lost $30 billion or whatever it is of the public's money. He's not going anywhere, right? That's just any decent lawyer would sit there and, and blend legal uh, strategy with reality strategy, right? Even if he never clears his name again, he's not disappearing unless he fakes his death. So what, what other decisions do you really have other than to continue a strategy and hopefully drumming up your support from your political uh, uh, supporters uh, in, in Congress and in government? And if you're fighting extradition or you're in any way trying to argue the fact that $30 billion is gone, from a strategy perspective, it, it, it's just a, it's, it's a losing position from every angle. Yeah. And uh, there also seemed to be, based on the reporting, there seemed to be a disconnect between the U.S. Uh, counsel representing him and the Bahamian lawyer, which only added to yesterday's confusion. Metaverse lawyer, long time, no talk, man. How have you been? And welcome in to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, GM, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me up here. It has been a little while, I guess, hasn't it? Um, but yeah, things are going well here. Just kind of uh, plugging through the holiday season and um, trying to keep up with all the news and everything as always. Yeah, I mean, there's always something. Um, Trump NFTs dropped, and over the weekend we had, uh, obviously, <laughs> we had uh, some conversation about what was going on with that art, what was going on with that floor, what was going on with the founders of the project. Uh, also interesting developments all around. There's never a dull moment, even on a slow holiday week. Have you given any thought, Metaverse Lawyer, to, and I, I pretty much can guess your position on Elizabeth Warren's uh, new financial surveillance bill um, and this requirement that basically anyone who hosts a blockchain network has to participate in KYC? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You could guess my opinion. I have not been a fan of of her um, take on crypto. Um, just think it's really short-sighted. Um, and it's it's ironic because you know I I came into this space really uh, after being very involved in the campaign in Nevada with Bernie Sanders, and so I, I lean politically very you know progressive. I mean I've always been very libertarian minded, um, kind of uh, within that vein of um, w- wanting to see some progress in, in terms of. Um, using these new technologies and, and seeing that it's in a way could help people that are unbanked, underbanked, um, dis- had been disadvantaged economically and kind of opening up the system to be permissionless and, and free. Right. So that's one thing that drove me into this space. And so to see um, politicians like Elizabeth Warren and, you know, I guess maybe the more 
further left-leaning candidates and politicians taking negative stances against crypto has just been endlessly frustrating for me personally. Um, so every time I read something from her, I just cringe and I think, why can't she get better advice or, you know, why is she not following the things that she claimed to be running on when she was in the presidential race? It's just so frustrating. You know, she's always run on this mantra of consumer protection. She's always uh, seemed to be very anti-bank um, and blames the banks, at least in my opinion, for a lot of the, the, the problems that's going on in the financial sector. And this bill, it, it definitely is a, a hammer looking for every nail on the blockchain. And I understand the logic that, you know, there is this stigma about crypto being a facilitator of money laundering. But there's also, as you very well put it, this notion that crypto is essential with respect to privacy, with respect to protecting individuals and maintaining anonymity and, you know, her take is that these privacy-enhancing technologies facilitate crime, which I think ignores the entire other side of the pendulum, and it swings way, 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 way too far. Um, I don't think, given the, the fact that we've had such a dramatic change in the composition of the legislature in this last election cycle, that it's going to go anywhere, but it certainly is a harbinger of what she would do if she had the power Fidgels, what do you think? Um, so um, my personal opinion, again, uh, metaphors lawyer, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a libertarian, uh, which is basically saying we're, we're, we're socially left and we're financially, fiscally responsible and we like freedom. Yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell. It's, it's, I don't really, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't really fit myself into the, you know, left, right, the politics, because, you know, I'll support a politician from either party if they are, you know, focused on basically limiting government, giving people the, you know, the, the power and, and expanding their ability to live their lives free. I mean, that's really what I'm all about. Agreed. Andrew Wayne, 2024. Um, uh, so my, my, my comment, Carlo, is that, um, by the way, very awkward man in person, but, but very nice, um, that the AML stuff is, is and has always been a ruse. Um, uh, money laundering, uh, financing of, of criminals has been going on uh, time immemorial through whatever form of money exists and a dollar does not stop that banks don't stop that Panama Papers and, and the like uh, it's a ruse for 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 tax and, and control uh, over information and uh, and the power of money right the difference between crypto and a dollar is that a dollar just has a third party it has a government attached to uh, a, a broken down essentially barter system, right? And crypto gives us the ability to barter directly uh, to a larger extent. Uh, I don't see, so two, th two things real quick. I don't see a solution, period. And I see the KYC as a pander to the right. Um, I don't see a KYC not being uh, in some form of legislation. Now, uh, implementation, much, much different conversation. And tech moves much faster. Tech and money move faster than governments and we'll find, not we, sorry, recorded day they will find ways to circumvent any sort of kyc regulation one way or the other period so i actually i actually say bring it on let's get legislation passed and we will have legislation soon 
because Ripple and uh, and Tether's lawsuits cannot functionally be resolved, and I don't think they're going to legislate by by uh, uh, by uh, litigation. So they have to do something to make those cases disappear. Yeah, it would be a very very challenging thing as written to enforce. In fact, the 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 opinion piece that I posted basically states that, in fact, compliance is not only onerous, but in many cases impossible. Because how can you expect a node on a blockchain who is processing on a network transactions to be able to identify users internationally in an open source software protocol uh, and, and be able to confirm the identities of everyone who's coming in and out of that blockchain? Logistically, and practically speaking, it, it seems to be a non-starter. Am I missing something? I mean, the, the only way they could actually eventually do this, and it would require a decade of, of sophistication on their end, is to require uh, exchanges and, and other platforms to harvest uh, on contract or on chain a, a portion of transactions that are uh, alleged to be taxable and then sort that out of absence. There's no way to, to, to implement so I've talked about it in the past that I think what's going to come out of this regulatory season is going to be KYC. I think to an extent that is a given. Um, the, the concern now is going to be if it's not going to be on the network providers to have to enforce this, is something going to evolve out of this that's going to make it that any U.S. citizen who transacts, I think kind of like the way Europe may be going maybe, Anybody who transacts on a blockchain is going to have the obligation now to self-KYC. Um, if the hosted and unhosted providers can't, can't fill up every hole, is it now going to be pushed on the individual, uh, the individual purchaser? And is that just going to open up a dearth of potential surveillance and enforcement action against regular everyday citizens who simply are experimenting and trying to understand this technology and inadvertently stepping into a minefield. Does it, does it swing that way? My take on it is, you know, very likely or possibly, um, you know, that's, that's the concern that I think with those within the space have and rightfully so. I mean, there's, I mean, if you look, just look at the history of, of governments, not just the U S but you know, throughout the world, um, they just continue to grow and kind of, you know, um, expand and get their tentacles into everything in everyone's lives. Right. And, and so that's where the frustration comes from. I think within this space is that, you know, the whole point of this was to get away from that, right. To get rid of the intermediaries and, and the, um, control surveillance, you know, um, overbearingness that, that, um, government, not just governments, but, you know, financial institutions and, and people have, um, in the system that has been built. Um, so I think, you know, the solution is, I, I've always thought personally is I have no problem KYCing when I go and open an account with Coinbase or Kraken or whatever, um, because that's your on and off ramp into the fiat world. And I think, you know, if you choose to use fiat money from the federal reserve, then, they probably have every right to to know who's using their money, right? And especially for for um, crime prevention as well. I, I'm the more the longer I've been in this space, the more I just look at dollars as just another shitcoin <laughs> that um, 
is necessary to have for a lot of things. So, you know, if there's a shitcoin out there that says in order to use the, my uh, shitcoin, we want to know who you are, then I can choose to do that or not. I mean, what I'd like to see in the future, and maybe this is just my, you know, the pipe dream of us, you know, crypto bros out here, I guess, but it'd be nice if we could just opt out of that. And, you know, I can transact in ApeCoin the rest of my life. I can go rent an apartment from a landlord who likes ApeCoin and chooses to use ApeCoin um, or Ethereum or, you know, ETH. Take, take your, um, pick your, your cryptocurrency, but, um, how we get to that point, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult because, and I think as Fidgetal said, to me, it is just a ruse saying, you know, pointing to the crime and money laundering. Yeah. Those things have always existed. I always want to stop that. Um, but that's just, you know, an excuse to be able to try to keep the control over the, over the money. Any thoughts on that? I think here's the problem on the flip side of that. And the other the other the counter argument is the more that cryptocurrency becomes universally accepted as a as a currency, the more it's going to necessitate tracking and taxing it. So if crypto mainstreams and if crypto becomes more uh, recognizable as a mode of transacting business, are we going to push more towards a state-run cryptocurrency, uh, which is going to basically eat up everything else out there? Because in order to lawfully transact as a citizen of whatever country that proposes these measures, you're going to have to be 100% KYC'd, not only on centralized exchanges where you're on-ramping and off-ramping, but also on decentralized exchanges where you're buying and selling. So let's look at a reality, right? Um the, the Jobs Act Title Three or, or the Laws Act and uh, the Jobs Act in, in general, right, um, was implemented. I forget when it was, but but I know that from the time that the laws were passed, which was trying to respect the fact that people want to have more autonomy with their money and be able to. It, for me, it's a reflection of information, right? Um, uh, the more information we have now, because of the internet and and the proliferation of, of content distribution, right. Uh, the less we need to be protected for our own investments. Um, the idea of accredited versus unaccredited investors from an informational paradigm uh, gets minimized, right? Um, and so the question becomes, the Jobs Act Title III or equity crowdfunding and, and, and the reggae's and, and stuff that allowed for more flexible investment and, and therefore financial control for uh, lower to mid-tier uh, financial individuals uh, is, in my mind, reflective of where crypto will end up going. Um, it took about four years, I believe, to actually implement uh, the, the equity crowdfunding rules after they had already been drafted or approved and then drafted by Congress. Um, for me, this, is, this has all been a, a, a buying time game, right? Um, suing Tether, suing Ripple, uh, suing everybody they've sued, right? How, much, how, how many decisions have been made on any large cases? Good point. Right. That they can't. They're not. They're, a court's going to decide what Congress should be doing in terms of how to how to regulate because it, it's about money, not about uh, protecting investors. In my opinion, so I think they've reached the end of their rope, um, and they're going to have to pass something that shows that they're doing something. But they've always been ten steps behind crypto, and adoption has exceeded their ability to functionally legislate. And 
you know, you talk about functional legislation, and that's an interesting way to put it because we haven't seen much in the way of functional anything from our two houses of Congress. And reaching consensus on something like this in the climate that we're in with a downturn in the market, an uptick in all of these alleged uh, fraudulent behaviors in the market by by platforms, um, it just sets the table for a climate of extreme uh, overreaction in the form of the legislation that may be incoming. And I think it's incumbent upon the voices who are active in this space to sort of temper that. And you do a good job of it, Fidgetal. Um, you know, collectively, I think the people that have the ability to sort of temper that, we had this uh, perceived savior in SBF who was going and speaking and engaging and handshaking and donating and advocating for measured regulation. And that largely fell apart uh, now that he's been indicted. Who is going to step up? Is it going to be CZ? I mean, he's the next biggest. Is it going to be Brian Armstrong from Coinbase? Um, Who's going to be the next big advocate for measured regulation that's going to be able to get the attention and the respect of the people who are going to vote on this thing? That's a big question. My belief is that this has been CZ's plan all along. Again, just my opinion, not uh, not not legal or financial or or facts in any in any way. Uh, if you look back at the actions he's taken um, and his history with the U.S., right? Because they were in they were in the U.S. before formally and then got kicked out, right? And then had to pivot. Um, it's in CZ's best interest to have regulation. Because he's because they have so much uh, buffer, because they have so much capitalization. My guess is that it was a targeted attack to change the in the impact in legislation and governmental uh, uh, um, uh, direction by killing uh, FTX and then having basically the seat at the table. Um, because my belief is that why wouldn't you want the biggest market in the world? And why wouldn't you want clarity and regulation? Because from a functional perspective, once we have regulation or some sort of clarity, right, we already saw Visa come in, MasterCard's already in, uh, all, all large institutional money wants to come in. They just need certainty. They need risk mitigation. So they at least have some clarity. It is in CZ's best interest for crypto to quadruple 10x, 100x in size in terms of adoption, uh, and to to comply with regulations that he's had an impact in 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 helping draft. Yeah, look, it's an interesting theory, and it was kind of floated um, last week when we talked about it. It kind of came on the heels of what uh, O'Leary had to say with respect to when he contacted SBF and was questioning why SBF uh, was was leveraging his company so 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 dramatically and what possessed him to do this it's a story that we may never know the truth about or the answer to or the reality of but curious assuming that it is in in your theory his agenda cz's agenda to to take the mantle of being the voice for measured regulation will the people in power who are making those decisions here domestically listen to him as a foreigner 
as someone who, according to some of the people who talked in that congressional hearing, uh, there's concerns about his alleged ties to the Chinese uh, Communist National Party. Um, is he someone who can take that mantle and who can actually show up at a hearing and testify? Because it would take someone like that. I mean, Armstrong, I think, has done that. I watched the Coinbase documentary. I saw him make the trip to Washington. I saw him engaging with legislators. And I mean, ideally, he comes at it from the perspective of a domestic U.S. company. He is a U.S. citizen. He has a broad adoption in the United States for his uh, company's uh, centralized platform. You are right. Binance is overseas now. And, you know, we saw recent reporting that Binance is, is sort of in the crosshairs, if you believe the reporting of potential criminal investigation, although they push back that they've hired several U.S.-based former uh, enforcement people to bolster and to, uh, and to examine their compliance measures with respect to anti-money laundering. So is he someone that you can have a meeting with as a legislature and be able to, to get this thing over the goal line? That's a big question. So um, this is probably not the most popular opinion amongst lawyers or, or people that are already skeptical about lawyers, but any good lawyer knows that at the end of the day, money governs everything, right? And finance has plenty and plenty and plenty of money. Um, so how it gets navigated in terms of a marketing campaign, uh, 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 public public actions that, that make CZ uh, seem, uh, cause he is Canadian, right. Um, uh, hinging on that part and uh, whatever, whatever needs to happen. Uh, the U S I think suffers dramatically if there's global, in, uh, what's what I'm looking for global inconsistencies in, uh, regulation and dramatic, uh, uh, benefits for people to go, uh, overseas to, uh, Spain or Portugal or, or, Wherever it is, where where countries can can control finance and uh, and their place in the world by being friendly to uh, cryptocurrencies or friendlier, so I, I just think as an inevitability, finance benefits from uh, um, uh, adherence or or parity with the U.S. Um, and the U.S. benefits with uh, cohesion and parity with crypto. So I just think it's inevitable one way or the other. Yeah. Look. Metaverse lawyer, you want to speak, and I want to give you that opportunity, but I just put this out there. He's also got his hands tied. I'm not an expert on campaign finance, but as a as a foreigner, there are there are serious, serious limitations on what foreigners can do to influence elected officials in the United States. And making political donations as foreigners is is very, very taboo. So you're giving me the hundred percent. Am I on the right track with that metaverse lawyer? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's part of the comment I was about to make was, you know, that 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 tricky issue there with, you know, him as a foreigner, he, he can't really get involved, I don't think, in, you know, directly influencing politicians, uh, or I just think that's a bad, a bad look. But but not only that, not forget about the, you know, uh, nationality or the fact he's a foreigner. Personally, I just think it's what we need to get away from is having like, the, the richest person in the room being the one that's influencing the laws in any at all right i mean look how well that worked out with sbf um you know the guy with the 
the, the king of the crypto with all the money. Uh, we thought that was a good thing, or maybe some people thought it was, depending on maybe where he was giving the money. But, you know, I'd like to see it's got to be leaders within the industry and the kind of the people that I follow that I um, think should be the ones in at the table in the congressional hearings are people like, you know, Brian Brooks, who's I think now he's at Bitfury, but he was at Binance, right? Um, U.S. anyway, left there. Interesting. I'd love to know, you know, exactly why he left Binance. He was there very briefly. It was all. But um, other, you know, like Nick Carter, who's been in the space a long time. He's spoken with, you know, hearings like this. I think he's an amazing voice in the space. Caitlin Long, um, she heads up Custodia Bank, which is based in Wyoming, and they've been fighting a, a long fight trying to get, you know, their, um, uh, what's the terminology for it, like the, the Fed uh, license to be able to uh, transact with the Federal Reserve. Um, she's an amazing voice within the space, and uh, I'd like to see Congress bring people like her, you know, that is an expert in banking um, and has been building in this space for for many, many years. Yeah, look, we saw the panel at the at the hearing last week, and uh, I think you proposed some some very interesting additions to that panel, which I think would bring some more crypto centric perspective and more, you know, measured uh, takes on on how to regulate this space. Uh, we saw both ends of the extreme on that. And, you know, having O'Leary up there uh, as, you know, one of the one of the advocates for crypto um, under the under the current cloud that he's in with respect to FTX, it, it certainly it certainly challenged his ability to make that sale in the hearing. Right. I mean, the fact we had O'Leary and then, you know, uh, ben from the OC sitting at the table in Congress at the last hearing. It's just like, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Like how we still have so far to go um, as an industry. You know, we need to be taken more seriously. Um, we need Congress to take it seriously to the point where they're actually calling people up there to help educate them. And like for a while we were there, it seemed like the first part earlier this year, before the market kind of imploded, I felt like we were, is kind of like a peak point for crypto in terms of where I thought we were going with regulation. And then just to see the way it's kind of devolved ever since um, really, I guess, um, Three Arrows Capital and Luna and, and the market generally, broad market started collapsing. Um, we've gotten into the point where it's now back to constant negative talk, constant hostility towards crypto um, and just talking about it in a way that we're, we've gone backwards to where now the, the narrative is criminals, money laundering, and all that kind of stuff again. Well, because I think, and I want to hear from Fidgetals, but I think it's because we unfortunately had the 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 dirty underbelly of unregulated uh, platform providers with very, very uh, suspect auditing practices and over-leveraged, and unfortunately, all of that only only invites the climate that you're describing. Uh, Fidgetals, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, I just think, uh, and, and this is a, I know we've talked about this uh, in forums many, many times. I think, and, and I think it might start with, uh, with lawyers in the space banding together, but the only way that we, in my opinion, avoid the, the ebbs and flows and, and create stability, because I, I don't even think regulation will create stability. Um, the only way that regulation, in my opinion, creates stability is if we have regulation and we get a bunch of institutional money that does abide by those regulations 
And just by virtue of, of volume um, and reach, we create some sort of stability. But in the meantime, I think our best way of creating stability and therefore uh, avoiding these, because when we're good, nobody's, nobody's crying about AML and nobody's crying about regulation, right? Um, is self-regulation, right? We, we talk about self-autonomy uh, and, and, and self-organizing and community and, and control over finances, but we don't self-regulate. Um, and I just think that pushing for internal regulation um, is the, the true answer to the fluctuations and issues we deal with on a regular three-year cycle. Yeah, and who knows when this uh, crypto winter is going to end and uh, who knows who's going to come out on the other side of it. Um, you've heard the rumblings about Binance and their, uh, is their house in order. Um, you, you seem to have a pretty good knowledge of what's going on with Binance and you stay pretty much abreast of it. Do you think that that's a lot of FUD or is there anything to those uh, alleged concerns? than that one of you fidgetals oh so uh my answer is i guarantee uh, uh, my highest guess is there's lots of shit underneath the 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 covers there um my comfort is that i think that from my understanding and everything that i've been watching and 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 i've spoken to binance many times uh, at at many levels um and i've heard from other more importantly from Huobi and other competing uh uh exchanges that would would jump on the opportunity to talk shit about Binance and specifically say that they're underfunded is that they, they have more than enough uh, capital. So regardless of what's underneath the comforters, I'm comfort, I'm comforted by the fact that they have enough money to, to weather any storm or, or any uh, illegal shit going on underneath. Not only weather any storm, but we saw recently that they have an, a willingness to bail out other, uh, other platforms that are in bankruptcy and, uh, you know, they are quickly becoming a major monopoly in the space um, with FTX out of the way and Coinbase, um, obviously a major competitor. But globally, they seem to be the biggest. Would that would that be fair to say? I mean, at this point, they're the biggest player in crypto globally. 10x. Yes. Yeah. And that that they certainly have the liquidity to ride out this crypto winter and uh We'll have to see how this crazy election cycle goes as to whether anything actually gets to a desk of a president who's willing to sign it and what that looks like. Um, So I guess this is a conversation that remains to be continued. We have a wicked cold front coming across the country, speaking of the crypto winter. So I think that uh, we're going to be in store for some interesting weather this week. Uh, it's coming through Texas on Thursday, and I'm seeing crazy reports of negative 10, uh, which is is bananas. So I guess we got a brace for not only the crypto winter, but we got a brace for the literal winter. Um, Jenko did not make it in the house today. I hope he's well. I really, really appreciate everyone jumping into the conversation today. We're going to cut it a little short because it is a holiday week, and I know that people have a lot going on. To everyone who joined especially who engaged in the conversation to the speakers. Thank you so much to everyone who came in to listen. And, uh, and I see the lawyers out there and I see the non-lawyers out there. Thank you so much for joining. We will do this again tomorrow. We do have a special guest on Friday. Elizabeth's going to come in and she's going to discuss estate planning and crypto, which I think is a good conversation because if you are looking at the year end and you want to start off the new year, right. 
that is probably a conversation you might want to listen to because you don't want to burden your loved ones. Um, and largely people don't really have a plan for what to do with their crypto in the event of, of that sort of a probate situation. So I'm excited to hear from her and I'll definitely, I'll be pumping that as we get closer to that episode. Vigils, Metaverse Lawyer, thank you again, as always, for your insights. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, gang. Thank you for joining.